gargantuan, spewing out thick and tall columns of black, shiny oil and car parts and oil was dripping like all around me. That was my sex. It was like, just for fucking just oil. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay, I had to start jacking off again. Welcome back. We are here with Dr. Mike Isratel. I couldn't possibly turn down an opportunity to talk to the professor himself about wanking. And actually, it's a pinnacle moment for all of our careers. So, Mike, what a treat to have you on to discuss this very important topic. And I, I guess just to give the listeners some background on this, uh, of why this is topical at the moment, we posted a video um, about this. There's kind of a, an internet movement uh, not just the the nofap community, but also it's the kind of self improvement, bodybuilding, entrepreneur, hustle culture community as well. That's gained traction recently, and it's the world of biohacking claiming that there are multi system significant benefits to refraining from bashing the bishop, jerking the gherkin, or fastening the the chin strap on the helmet of love. Oh. And I mm, I think. Um, we are relatively all aligned on this and just want to give a kind of a counter perspective of this. And really the, the crux is that we want to get further upstream of, is there a specific spiritual or physiological benefit to semen retention? And maybe it's about just going from pathological state to non-pathological state that is explaining some of these benefits. And if just, if you haven't witnessed the nofap community generally it's talking about people who say like oh okay i'm on day 17 and women are approaching me out of nowhere and i've gained an inch on my biceps and i'm way more productive and all this kind of stuff and it does just come down to a lot of the historical momentum that's vilified sex and all that stuff so i think there's a puritanical hangover to it but we would love to hear some of this perspective from from you mike so welcome aboard to the wank train oof that is mm. very sexual guys thanks for having me on first of all always a pleasure huge fan fangirl moment i love your you guys' stuff on instagram and both mimetically insightful and informative i very much appreciate that in fact even though it's unrelated i'm gonna have to post this over this video of something you put up yesterday um showing a like a live before and after belly to side oh, chest yeah. absolutely yeah. mind-blowing really it'll get even more impressive as i get closer to the show so uh yeah basically the 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 references when if i just relax i have a beer gut with veins on it and no subcutaneous fat and uh, all sorts of interesting Instagram comments have uh, postulated various hypotheses about why I have a big gut. One is insulin and growth hormone use or abuse. In my case, absolutely use insulin and growth hormone, but uh, my mom and dad both have bellies of the exact same size and shape, uh, and they are, they are bereft of insulin and growth hormone access, abuse, or interest in that sort of thing, or knowledge of what those are, actually. And uh, yes, old uh, old Jewish couple from the Soviet Union just blasting Ronnie Coleman dosages to the moon, not training or whatever. So it's a, it's a fun idea. I've also been told, it's clearly evidence that I, I, I need to work on my muscles that allow me to hit a vacuum. And I actually can hit a vacuum and do it in bodybuilding competition all the time. And so that's that ruled that out. 
And uh, there's also an idea, I actually had a, a nice lady reach out to me, offering me consultation on, on changing my gut microbiota, because clearly nice. my gut was in some sort of state of disrepair from apparently my entire life. I mean, I've had a, I've had a, a gut since I was a child, always. And uh, apparently I was just eating the wrong foods at every state of my existence, including in the Soviet Union, where we ate almost no processed foods because the economy was not strong enough to produce processed foods. <laughs> So it's always funny how it's the the guys who are not medically qualified that are so keen to to offer a, a full diagnostic and treatment pathway for you via I Instagram comment. I love it. Yeah, it's classic. It's it's uh there is no amount of disappointment you will ever run into if you make a social media post and you want people to embarrass themselves with candidate hypotheses out of nowhere. Um, this is especially strong with male posters. M mansplaining is a term that uh, feminists and social justice warriors use about when men sort of like try to explain what's going on with you to you. And what they get right about it is that it's definitely a thing. A lot, uh, some fraction of men will just tell you what you think and feel or what's wrong with you without you having ever asked or knowing anything about you, what they get wrong about it is that uh, men don't do this just to women. They do that to everyone and mostly just other men. So it's uh, it's a real thing and it's really funny to watch happen. But the reality is like, I think I just like, that's how my body shaped or whatever. And uh, you know, for a long time, I didn't know that. And actually I tried, I became pro probably what you could describe as very close to borderline anorexic when I was in the ninth grade and I was at 14 years old and I, I was down to 97 pounds. And my gut was still there, full size. And I was like, all right, God, did I sin in a past life or something? And I actually asked my science teacher. And he's like, that's just your salamic cavity. Like, that's where stuff happens. And I was like, that's it? He's like, that's it? And I was like, all right, cool. So then, you know, like, uh, you know, there's all kinds of social pressure to suck in the gut. I hate how it looks. Of course, it's fucking awful. But uh, as long as I can hit my bodybuilding poses, I'm good to go. So that's why I'm at with this. Do you think and, because uh, you're like so open with drug use, it sort of stems some of the comments on that i feel like if you I, if you if you didn't just like full frontal say like that's something i do there'd be all this like people there'd be the, the rumor mill of like oh mike looks this way because of this do you think just being honest helps maybe maybe i think that the the, the people that uh engage in these kinds of accusatory comments and trolling is i don't know how much they're interested in what has been admitted to before I've actually, uh, a lot of my followers are actually super awesome people, maybe almost all of them, and they will jump down people's throats if they come at, uh, you know, me or anyone else uh, that they like incorrectly. And it is very funny for me to be like, every now and again on a YouTube video, be like, man, this fake natty. And they're like, Mike has never claimed natty, has been completely explicit about his drug use. You're a fucking idiot. Kill yourself. And, you know, like, they just never even bothered uh, to figure it out. So, uh, the accusations. And then say, when you admit to drug use, they're like, well, this is what, that's why your head is shaped weird. That's why you have a big gut. Right. This is clearly what's wrong with you. And yeah, to, to paraphrase my, uh, my friend, Jared Feather, who's a co-creator of the RPI hypertrophy app. Um, uh, I've, I, I've thought this through more than you, and I already know what you're going to say. And I've thought through that line of reasoning more than you will also. So not only can I make my position better than you can make my position for me, I can make your counter and counter and counter to that better than you can. So just take a fucking knee, shut the fuck up, have some reverence. You don't know things. 
And obviously, it's not something you say to a real human being, but to an anonymous poster troll account all fucking day. And, uh, you know, most of those people, I don't even know if they read the replies to their comments. They're just out there shit posting. And God bless them. I feel like you've managed to, to build an intelligent audience that's quite thoughtful. And the comments that I read are generally higher quality than when we occasionally and accidentally go viral. And when it's like, suddenly you're sent into oh, the, the viral tier of the internet and you're like, oh, that's... no, this is the real internet. Mm. It's like the zombie horde. It's it's really intense. I, also, something I learned and something I've been trying to say more, and there's a, there's a tactful way to say this, and I'm probably not going to be tactful, but uh, I'll say the first, the, the main thrust of what I'm going to say is this. The fraction of people that view and appreciate your content that also comment on it is incredibly small. Mm. How many times do you guys go on YouTube videos and comment in the comments? I, I suppose it's almost never. And right. yeah. most normal people just rarely or ever comment on stuff. And maybe you'll do like a fire symbol emoji or you'll be like, hey, this is a great podcast. Or you'll be like, I don't think this guy's right about this. I really didn't like how he approached it. Something, even if it's not ultra respectful, it just doesn't embarrass you a lot. And then what I found <laughs> is that people that comment on videos and posts can be bifurcated into like, maybe maybe three groups one totally normal people just saying normal shit that you would say to another human being in the street that's like a third of the people roughly or something like that and uh, that's great then there are people who are uh, almost uh, manically and socially interactive and and happy and they think that you've been friends with them their entire life and they treat you like 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 a familiar you know uh and it's it's interesting and i, I totally love it i think it's fucking great it's like you know you, i've never met you you live fifteen thousand kilometers away but like we're best friends amazing like from the first thing you ever said to me it's just a totally positive vibe it's strange but it's positive and it's great and then and then you get another third of people that are maybe having like a bad day in perpetuity or something like that or they're like um uh, we call them in in uh in in my own circle incellular you know like you have like, like a deg the degree of involuntary celibacy that you're dealing with pervades your life and and there's not a realistic amount of sex with consenting women you could have that would get you out it's like an incel deep mindset of like you see yourself clearly in your own head as inferior and you have to lash out at everybody everyone's wrong everyone's stupid you're the expert everyone sucks and that kind of person um every like i deal with real people in real life i do combat sport and like i'm just like especially when i'm on lots of drugs which tend to give you uh, an ability to become offended quickly or like a righteous offense like a how dare you almost like a like a gangbanger mentality like you stepped on my nikes bro type of shit like that's the first place your mind goes and when i'm on like hard like heavy cycle or on diet a lot of fatigue those comments sometimes hit me out of left field like hard what the fuck are you out of your fucking mind like i just want to like walk up to that person in real life and walk way too close to their face just eye to eye and be like watch you do nothing about this i could nothing you're powerless you're no one take a fucking knee and then like i'm like wait a minute this is not even this could be a bot what, what the hell is wrong with me or it could be a person and I've, I've ended up meeting a few of the incel types in real life over the years at seminars and things like that without exception become upset and like real pissed at them like fuck this guy i'm gonna fuck him up you meet him you're like this is a person who needs like an infinite number of hugs yeah. and this is not a scary person this is a person who is like it all makes sense you know you just want to pat on back like dude like middle school was really hard for me too man i feel you like there's healing coming your way the universe is gonna vibe with you one day man you know 
hundred percent. I mean, we obviously our audience isn't as large as yours, so I'm sure you have this like overlap of offline and online a bit more than us. But certainly, we've met a few of the type two people. Brilliant, and it's you know I, I see that as a success of the content because you're building a one sided relationship with your audience through doing that. The type three people, as you say, like they're always yeah they're always much more meek than they would come across online. They just need a hug. They're probably just had a bit of a, a bad time. Uh, and they, they're kind of lacking just like that self-awareness chip um, in the brain that most people have that, that would normally filter like, oh no, that's not an acceptable thing to say yes. on a comment or to someone's face. And it, but yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating world. I think they, they sometimes don't. We sometimes get like emails from someone that's just, it's just like a horrendous thing. Like the email, it's, it's like, we had this guy who once emailed us like 10 times in a day that just said, fuck you. Nothing else, just fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, like over and over again. And sometimes you reply to those people and they're like, oh shit. Like, I, I didn't think anyone was going to read the email. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. Just emailing that, that, an inbox that no there's, one reads. There's definitely, um, I, I, I definitely treat social media as I'm never going to say anything on social media that I wouldn't say to someone's face. Yeah. And there are people that just don't treat it like that. Mm -hmm. Like I remember the first time um, my friend and I, I was like 14, he was like 11. We got onto like the first chat that ever existed in like 1998 or some shit like that. And we just trolled for an hour and I've like never laughed harder in my entire life. And we just like people were there for legitimate conversations. We were like, these people are so dumb. This is the internet. It's fake. It's all fake. It's all like an act. And we were like, oh, like we would have like real conversations with people for like uh, 30, you know, like 30 comments back and forth and, and DMs or whatever. And they were like, oh, this is great. They were like, die, pussy. Ha, ha, ha. And they'd be like, what the fuck? And we were like, so funny. And I think that the gamification of interaction there where it's not real, you know, like, like, uh, I think some people just uh, think that the internet is like that because to them it is because, uh, to use the vernacular, they are an NPC with like, you know, like let, let's say I'm trying to talk shit to Derek more plates, more dates on YouTube. And, and I live in like, uh, you know, like a fucking basement in Arkansas. I'm not a person to him. He's not a person to me. He's like a celebrity. He's not a real thing. So I could say, fuck Derek, more plates, more dates, stupid fuck cunt, fuck him, blah, blah, blah. But if I saw him in the gym, he'd be like, hey, what's up, man? He'd be like, oh, oh my God, I watch your shit. It'd be like, you said really unkind things to me. I'd be like, oh, like, I, thought, I wasn't saying that to you. You know what I'm saying? I, what? Like, I'm saying that it's to almost like if, if that you're playing online and it's, yeah. Yes. So yes. Well, I think that leads us on quite nicely onto the type three people, you know, as you, you described, the, the in, in cellular kind of basement dwelling archetype, I suppose, is mm. the same group of people who are most vulnerable to the kind of incel and no fat message, which is like, it, it very much polarizes, it creates this kind of binary magic pill type solution to something. And depending on the flavor of it, it could be cold showers, or it could be uh, sunning your bumhole or, or whatever. But my personal um, favorite. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, me me too. To be honest, I'm still not out of that that particular rabbit hole. It's not a fad; it's a lifestyle. <laughs> for sure. My skin doctor says it's actual. Just it's like a it's like an Uber for cancer, an Uber eats for cancer of my asshole. But he doesn't know anything because he's paid <laughs> off by Western medicine, big pharma shield, whatever. I think some of the claims of the NoFap community seems to be like testosterone boosting and the the social confidence having looked into some of the data on this i can't really find any acute relationship between sexual abstinence and testosterone 
I feel like it's all been driven by the kind of religious overhang of this stuff. But I would love to know where you think that this originally came from. I think there's always an undercurrent of people ready to hear the message. And the message will come from various sources and have kind of groundswells over history. Um, to, to paraphrase something, Dr. Mike Stone, my uh, mentor in the university said, he's like, you know, in his seventies and he's like, I've seen core training come and go every five years as a fad for 50 fucking years. It's not new. It wasn't new in the sixties. It wasn't new in the seventies. It wasn't, it's not going to be new in 2025 when it comes back and everyone's like, what do you think about core training? It's like, Wanting to train the abs isn't going anywhere, and there are some big influencers will pick it up, and it'll, you know, some weird exercise or some stupid TikTok video, and all of a sudden it'll be a thing. I think NoFap is similar in that there's always this relationship that people have to masturbation, which is, for many people, touch and go. And obviously, like, let's be honest, masturbation is like, it's not weird, but it's like, yeah, it's a very private thing, and it's a thing that is unnatural in the very technical sense of Obviously, the, the purpose of ejaculation in the strict evolutionary interpretation is to inseminate a consenting female, uh, you know, where, where about you have children with her as a result of that and raise them to maturation and the cycle repeats itself. So, you know, yeah, yeah like jacking off, like definitely dumps off the sperm in a napkin or, you know, uh, somewhere other place where it's not going to cause the procreation of life. So people deal with that uh realization in various different ways and of course a lot of people come from a religious context where masturbation in, in many religions is considered sinful or wrong and uh i think a lot of people have uh, some sort of a shame or guilt about engaging in that process and that's understandable because it's like you know like it's not something if it's not something you can do in front of your family and friends it's a special thing and there's some it's weird right it's like um if you you know like nudists for example they're like, everyone should be naked all the time. Like, it's totally cool. Like, you know, I don't ever want to see my mom naked, ever. And I, I, if I had to look at medical pictures of my mom naked, I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Like, let's get this. Oh, good God. This is going to hurt me in a way. And it's not going to hurt me. It's just memories I don't want. And there's like something, something sexuality and stuff is, it's a big, like Freudian, deep, id, mm. powerful thing. Um, actually, funny enough, um, uh, I've tried the nofap thing numerous times. What, do, what else do you do as a teen? Is you try shit like that, right? So... Uh, one time when I tried it, it was just for context. Fuck it. I'm done. Like, I'm just going to say here, personal information incoming, whatever. I don't give a fuck. None of this shit fucking matters fundamentally to who you are as a human anyway. So being uploaded anyway, anyway, so yeah, great. So like, you know, I, I, I typically jerk off, like depending on whether this contest prep or off season, anywhere between once a day to, um, you know, once every three days, you know, on average, and it's just like that. That's my jerk off schedule. And that's like, regardless of if I'm with someone or not with someone, I mean, I'm married. And so that my, my marriage, uh, sexual interaction, I'd have to ask my wife if I have permission to talk about that. So I'll leave that private. It's, I love it. It's quite great. I have zero complaints, but you know, like my masturbation frequency is essentially like rather static, regardless of, you know, this has been for a very long time. So I've, I've done the whole, uh, not jerk off for a week or, uh, almost two weeks ever since I started jerking off. And one time on day number six, I had this unbelievably vivid dream of, I was standing in front of a volcano that was like gargantuan and it was spewing out 
mile thick and tall columns of oil, like black, shiny oil and car parts. And the car parts were falling and oil was dripping like all around me. And it was the energy emanating from this thing. I knew in my dream, like that was my id. That was my sex. It was like, just for fucking just oil. Where's it coming from? And I'm like, oh shit. And then I'm like, okay, I had to start jacking off again. I don't know where this thing is. Satan coming next. What it's the hell is going on? So there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of shit there. It's not like this, like, oh, it's just you jack off or you don't. Like, no, I get it. There's there's some stuff there. And I can understand that in a certain context, a religious context, a context in which maybe you're ashamed of what you're doing, masturbation feels all wrong. Maybe the kind of stuff you have to think about, um, where your mind goes when you're jerking off, is stuff that you haven't really dealt with yet that's unpalatable. Like, I'm into a ton of fantasies and fetish and, like, S&M. I love that fucking shit. I'm here all day for it. But I'm like, I have this contextualization in my head, like, uh, you know, like, fetish is fetish, and it's all good if everyone's consenting. And in my mind, there's no actual fucking people, so all is well. And I'm not, like, I've never been ashamed of anything I've jerked off to. It's, like, not my proudest fap or whatever. Like, mm. I don't have the capacity to be ashamed. Like, if you have, if you're ashamed of your own thoughts, you need to go see a psychologist right away. If you're ashamed of your actions, yeah, like the, I've all, I've done shameful things, but thoughts like you have to understand your mind is, has to be left to be a free place to think your thoughts to quote Jared Feather. Again, you are not your thoughts. Thoughts are, are, are uh, things emanated for you. You don't think them. Sometimes you can thought stream and think consciously, but you guys know, like your thoughts come to you from the ether. There's like a GPT in your brain, almost literally like, uh, like a chat GPT that just generates all the time. Like if you just sit there, like, okay, try not to think of anything. You're going to be thinking of shit. It's not you thinking of shit. It's just shit coming in. And if you have shame about that stuff, you got to recontextualize that to be like, I didn't choose to think about this. It's just the same way with masturbation. Like if you have weird shit that you're masturbating to and you seem to love, like you're all good, man. Lean into that shit. It's cool. Like don't do anything crazy in public and take your dick out wagging at people. But like, that's two very, very different things. The shit on your head, you got to be cool with it. Sorry, real quick. If you're not cool with it, I can totally see how masturbation and sex could be a real fucked up thing that you have to have a lot of reverence about and a lot of weird and asynchronies mm. about. So you've made a very important distinction there between the, the action and the judgment about the action or the first and the second arrow. And that, yeah, as you say, like the, it's, this is not to downplay the, the, the evolutionary power of sexual drive, of course, like it's what's got us to where we are right now and expressed nicely symbolically in that, that dream of the, slightly psychedelic dream of the, the car parts and the slightly the volcano. <laughs> but, but I think this stuff comes from like that that's the the, the engine of the the hardware that is, yeah. exists in all in all humans but my hypothesis I guess is that it's it's the same thing that's just gone through different flavors depending on what's culturally acceptable at the time so the same as they say about like alien abduction you know th that wasn't a thing more than 50 years ago because it wasn't in the human psyche so Yep. originally it's the 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 sexual energy is the, the the ancient kind of tantric traditions about conserving your chi and and moving your sexual energy around and then it becomes christian and the sort of catholic approach to no no you've got to ignore that and, and then the energy comes out in other ways and people end up doing naughty things in the church and and and, yeah. and now it's like the current flavor because everyone's much more scientifically grounded so so they think it's become more of a biohacking. Oh, it's a testosterone optimization thing, or it's a right. dopamine management thing. I, mean, I think it's the same stuff that's just gone through different flavors. You know, I, I went to the Penn State prison um, last month, 
Fascinating. I was going to say, this is going to be a fucking real interesting story. Like, <laughs> I was there for two years, breaking and entering, nothing crazy. And I, let years. me tell you, I didn't jack off for two years straight. <laughs> Low-grade stuff. But um, weirdly, it was an audio tour read out by the Steve Buscemi or the other guy that looks like Steve Buscemi. Oh, Everyone gets confused oh, with yeah. him. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't want that man in my ear. So there was a 20-year period where they tried to ban masturbation in the prison and everyone's in solitary confinement and they called it the devil's act and it was like they went to Very extraordinary well. lengths to try and stop people masturbating in their jail cells on their own and i just think that is a fascinating thing of like it's no skin off your nose figuratively speaking and yet they're trying to like the the, the one saving grace that someone who's in prison on their own and with nothing to do has and it's like, no, you can't even do that how yeah. did they how do they try and stop them I imagine just like bursting in at random times. Oh, just trying to not up. be. That's you, dog. Good. Stop touching yourself. Um, I think they're like. I think there's like two. So the the first time I think I ever heard this that I can remember ever heard it spoke about was in um, Mark Manson's first book called Models. That I know you've read. You stuff. I don't know whether you've read it, Mike. It's like I a take on like pickup artistry. But like it's a more the anti pickup like, artistry book. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's, boo. It's it. it it's more. It I'm takes kidding. more of like a like a become the person that people would find attractive. So he spends all inner time game about like the pickup artists call that. Eat, eat vegetables, eat more protein, exercise, and then like masturbate less to fix the problem of like creating motivation to leave the house. So it's like that version of it, but the version of it in the nofap community that I see is all this like the desire to create this subhuman productivity energy thing that's like a an uninvestigated experience i don't think anyone who actually goes through it experiences that they experience like the opposite of being productive and it feels pretty unpleasant it, yeah like, after like several days right like a week feels pretty all-consuming and unpleasant that's the thing is i think with maybe most things in biology, there's like a hermetic relationship mm. where there's like a, a, a good middle ground you want to take. Like exercise is great, but if you overtrain, it's bad. If you undertrain, it's bad. Mm. You need enough food to sustain yourself, but if you eat too much food, you get fat, not enough, you die. I think with sexual activity, <clears throat> if you get none of it and you don't jack off, your thoughts will be wholly consumed by sex. Yeah. And you will not be able to focus on work or anything else. And after you nut, you know, there's a reason there's a term like post nut clarity, because after you nut, you're like, oh, shit, I'm me. Oh, oh, my God, who the fuck is this person with me? Good God, what the hell was I doing? And, you know, men are notoriously prone to making terrible short term, sometimes, unfortunately, long term decisions when they're trying to get that ass. And the same thing can be the case. You could just, you just fucking whack off all of a sudden. You're like, okay. Um, one time I was like, oh man, I, I told my, one of my best friends, I, I really like this girl. And he's like, did you try to jack off yet? I was like, what? He's like, jack off, call me back. Tell me if you still like her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in my case, it was like, yes, no, I actually do like her. Sensible post jacking off. Very sensible. And it was like, you know, cause you could jack off and be like, oh, ugh. no, I was just, I was trying to, hit it because so, your brain is a big swirl of psychic energy and it, it can confuse you you can think you know like 
uh, statistically, people estimate that attractive people are better at their work, you know, you know, uh, are nicer. I mean, all this is almost certainly false. Maybe there's some marginal truth to it. But, you know, when when especially men who haven't been either whacking it or getting laid with a human being start to make decisions in that state, there's a lot of fucking decisions that are going to be wrong. There's a lot of drag on your mental ability to focus. On the other hand, if you are just jacking off all the time or fucking all the time, you also get nothing done. Like if I just had a harem of S&M strippers around, like I, you know, in my own personal case, like I know how that would go for me. I would become insanely uninterested after a day and a half. But for many people, they get into that loop of like the preservative loop of like, this is amazing. I need more, I need more, I need more. It's like a junk food addiction. Only. And then that's yeah. definitely a bad thing. So there's margins to this. It's not like... You know, there are benefits to NoFap and there are downsides to NoFap and where that line, it's, it's really to me not a question of FAP versus NoFap. It's a question of how often are you ejaculating and what is the rate that for you seems to be a great balance for your sexual performance, for your health and for your productivity and your psychic state. And for different people, that's going to be a different number and that's totally okay. I would like to add a caveat to that statement, Mike, as well. I'm sure you agree with this, that um, yes, there's the, the, the rate and everything, but I think if we go further upstream and we say like, what, what is also the, the motivation for it? Because you've, you've then identified a distinction between masturbation out of sexual drive, like pure sexual motivation and masturbation out of compulsive dopamine plugging that could be replaced with any other habit like gambling or gaming or whatever else. And we, we certainly know that in, in this case of pathological fappers, there's studies on patients who are given dopamine agonists and that increases the rate of compulsive masturbation, possibly suggesting that it's, it's not associated with sex drive or hypersexuality per se. It's just a reward seeking behavior that has taken the form of masturbation in that case. Whereas, so, so this is why I think like we, we've got to be kind of careful with who is the audience that you're giving that particular advice to, because um, if there's a psychodynamic kind of drive behind just general pain avoidance and pleasure seeking that's a different motivator than someone who's just horny yeah so the vast majority of people that masturbate masturbate because they're horny um but there are a group of people that will get especially into little mini spirals of masturbating perseveratively and that is uh to sort of linked with that um let's see a good way to to say it is the difference between wanting and liking um you can want to jack off and after you do it you're like i didn't even like that much and then like half an hour later, you're like, I want to jack off again. And you have to remind yourself, like, I'm not going to like this. I definitely have times where I'm like, ooh, should I jack off to porn before I go to bed? And I'm like, the last time I jacked off, was it good? And I was like, no. And it's only been a day, so I'm not even that rebound horny yet. Fuck that. I'm not going to cost myself 20 minutes of lack of sleep. <laughs> I'm going to bed. And then yeah. sometimes I won't take my own advice, and I'll just learn the lesson even better. So sometimes I'll fucking jack off. And like after I nut, I'm like, God, that fucking blue. Because, you know, not all nuts are the same. Sometimes you find some great shit and you're like, fuck, yeah, that was so worth it. That was amazing. And then sometimes you're like, ugh, ugh, really? This is almost like it, it, stuff came out of my dick, but I kind of didn't even barely feel anything. You know, you, obviously you felt the orgasm. But it was like, ah, man, this really 20 minutes for this. And this sort of learned my lesson and just uh, don't do it as frequently. And, and, and sort of my not new, but something I learned when I was in my like maybe early 20s, late teens, a little heuristic that I mostly apply, but again, we're all fallible. Sometimes I don't apply it is if it's going to be, if I anticipate that it's going to be a great time, I do it. If I anticipate that it's just something like, Ooh, I should do this, but like, it's not going to be a good time. Then don't do it. I currently am struggling actually not with masturbation, but with um, engaging with 
comments on Instagram and YouTube. YouTube actually have an algorithm for I just go in and do a certain number of comments and get out. There's just too many comments to deal with. But on my social media like Instagram, I have a general tendency to do two things. One is I treat commenters as human beings. Like uh, humans are talking to me and it's rude to ignore people that are asking you questions. Like I, that's how I was raised and genetically that's just how I interact. And also I'm like, I'm an expert. Uh, this is why they follow me. I can help people. So when they ask questions, like I just want to answer all the questions. And then I got to remind myself like, I want to go in there and answer all the questions, but it won't be pleasant. It'll be a poor use of my time. So I just have to be like, oh, I made an Instagram post and I'm not going to go into the comments. And sometimes that's really tough because I want to do it, but I don't like to do it. Sometimes I have to say no. There's the three different processes of wanting, liking, and learning as being different. And I guess in that situation, you've outlined a couple of times where you've maybe ridden the line between them and been like, oh, actually I wanted that, but I didn't quite like it. And I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly driven by the same, like wanting to people please and wanting to respond to all the comments. And I don't want to be rude and they've taken the time to comment and, and I want to be yeah. able to help them. But actually knowing in my adult brain that even if I spent all day responding to comments, I'd never get to the, the bottom Endless. of it all. Um, there's a great book by Emily, some... Polish last name, I'm going to butcher it if I try and pronounce it, called Come As You Are. And it talks about uh, this difference between wanting, learning, and liking in the context of sex drive. And there's a couple of interesting implications from it. One of them is that often women have predominantly responsive desire rather than spontaneous desire. And that means that they are more driven by liking than, than wanting. So you might have to have a sexual yeah. stimulus to generate the liking response and then the learning yes. that, oh yeah, this is nice. And so that produces this kind of dynamic in couples where the, the man is like, why am I always having to in initiate? Like you, you never want yes. sex. And the woman's like, no, no, I love it when, when we have sex, but it just doesn't occur to her until someone provides her with a se sexual stimulus. But then there's also the aspect of like, you can, it, it there's a lot of there's guilt associated with people who are sexually assaulted that maybe they became physically aroused and they think oh shit yeah. like maybe i was somewhat to blame in that or whatever but it's just the physiological response to that i guess i'm saying it's a slight tangent but it's related and i have to say it because it's true there's an overwhelming amount of data on it it's not something that in the empirical research if you actually uh, look at the research it's not something that's up for debate and at the same time it's politically correct to think completely the other way about it. Um, there is this idea, and I will call it a myth because it is a myth, that uh, rape is not about sex, it's about power. And that's categorically false if looked at from a certain perspective and categorically true, um, mostly true, if looked at from another perspective. From the perspective of the male that commits sexual assault on a female, it is always and everywhere about sex. How do I know that? Because it generates an erection. You guys ever watch Dragon Ball Z and watch Vegeta power up and he's like fucking flames everywhere and you're like, yes, and you're hard? No, what the fuck? That's the most powerful shit I can ever, I can ever contend with. Like, I look at like, you know, I, 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 I look at a documentary about NVIDIA Corporation about microchips and stuff and I'm like, this is truly, this is AI ascendant. This is power. I never get an erection. Um, if I have an erection and I'm grabbing at a bitch's titties and my dick is in her fucking vagina, it's sex for me. And I ejaculate. It's sex. For me, it's sex. And the interesting thing is that when you chemically castrate rapists, their rape recidivism drops to almost nothing in almost every case. It's just rape is about sex to the man. To the female victim, rape is usually about power and her loss of it. Agency is a huge deal for all of us. 
probably at least as big of a deal for a man as for a woman. Because if a man gets raped, holy fuck, that's a whole other thing. Like nobody fucks with me. And then all of a sudden you're a bitch, right? But for females, it's huge as well as it should be. And evolutionarily, the female's consent is what determines who is mixing with her genes because she's stuck with the old baby. And so there's an evolutionary drive. Women have an immense drive to select who they have sex with. And when that is ripped from them physically or physically sort of imbued upon them, that is an unbelievably deep violation. And so for them, it is about power and power loss. And obviously, they're not consenting to it. So in a huge fraction of cases, it's not about sex to them at all. Like there's a huge fraction of rapes in which like if, if the cop, you know, like 1950s, totally socially inept cop, different culture is like, oh, so did you enjoy it? Like that's Jesus Christ, bro. It's not something you fuck. Just shut up, write your fucking report, get the fuck out of here. This is a victim. You know, it's totally insane. But on the other hand, uh, two things. One, uh, many women, not most have an inadvertent sexual response to rape that they have real trouble contextualizing. They f begin with the encounter of feeling the victim, feeling powerless, feeling helpless. And then somewhere through the encounter, they're like, yeah, shit's happening down there. I'm wet. I'm orgasming. What the fuck? And then the guy gets off, drunk, you know, stammers away. And they're like left with being like, what the fuck just happened to me? Mm -hmm. I hated it. And then I didn't. And now I hate it. What the fuck am I even supposed to think? That's arguably even worse because it's like, at least I could hate this whole thing. But now I have to deal with all this other bullshit. And then there's also the undercurrent that uh, in a certain context, at least, uh, actually, the majority of women have a lot of positive feelings about the rape fantasy. Now, to be completely clear, very big difference between rape fantasy and rape reality. Rape fantasy is not so much rape, but like big manly brute grabs me by my tiny waist and pushes me up against the wall and like, I don't consent, but right, but, shh, but really I do, but I don't. So you mix all that together and it's totally understandable how females can say rape is absolutely not about sex. It's about power because the vast majority of the time for most of those people, that's true. But for the male, it is. So if we're going to do anti-rape education and try to prevent or minimize rape in society, which is like, I don't know, like mission number one after trying to prevent murder, as far as I can tell, um, we have to understand that for males, uh, it is about sex. And in any time you have policy that attends to that, if you say, well, rape isn't about sex, it's about power, that's categorically wrong to begin with. And it's going to lead to policy conclusions that may not be helpful to the very women you're trying to protect. So just just uh, want to be on record saying that it's not my original hypothesis. Steven Pinker in the blank slate explains this very well, eruditely with a lot of data. But uh, just just to put that in there. That's interesting. It's the the, the the rape is about power claim comes from the lens of the victim, but not from the perpetrator is what you're saying. Correct. Um, and that because of that, that there's a horrible kind of post hoc rationalization that the victim has to then go through to make sense of their physical reaction to the, to the event and oh, yeah. how to put it in. Oh yeah. Into because for them, it could be about, because imagine someone telling you rapes is not about sex, it's about power. And you were going to share with, let's say that psychologist tells you that in the counseling after your rape. And, uh, you were going to share with them that like, look, like I felt sexual things, but when they start out with, look, first of all, it's not sexual. You're like, okay. And you just don't say it. Cause you're like, well, am I fucking weird? Am I wrong? Am I really deeply wrong? Like I was fucking raped. The psychologist told me it's about power, not sex, but I know deep down for me, it was about both. I mean, it's obviously it's about both for the, for the victim. Um, is vi maybe other than the fantasy, the rape fantasy with consenting adults, you know, wink consenting adults, then it's just about sex and not about power. Although the power is very sexual in that case, if it is in context, in real actual sexual assault, of course, it's also about power to the victim. 
And sometimes it's about power to the perpetrator, but it's power that turns them on sexually. That's what they're going for. And, and the, the ultimate claim here is if you are male and you want to exert a power over a woman and you're a fucking scumbag, vile piece of shit that thinks rape is okay and it's not sexual to you, you don't stick your dick in them. You just fucking whack them around a bit. Just fucking slap a bitch. That's plenty of power. You feel like Superman. You're the fucking man. You never had to get an erection. And by the way, from an evolutionary perspective, being uh, physically vulnerable during sex because you can't check your uh, situational awareness as much when you're raping someone, super fucked up thing to say, but it's true. And having an erection, like your penis and balls are your fucking prized possession. Like a lot of men sleep with their fucking hand on their fucking nuts. There's, that's not by accident. You take your dick out and you put it in front of someone like some females, you get one out of 10 females will rip your fucking cock off with their fucking nails and good, first of all. And second of all, like you're taking a big risk imposing patriarchal power structures from the ether onto a woman. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, clearly it's about sex. So there that I think that context is important to point out. That's like one of the core criticisms of like the increased access to porn though, right? Is that it for like younger, impressionable people? who don't who can't look at this and think like this is an exaggerated version of this reality it normalizes that and creates a more of that attitude more it's slanted that way right like it's slanted towards this power dynamic of like that's what sex is like all right so um oh my god let's talk about that i've got all day to fucking talk about that that's I've, a great point uh, yusuf you, you you seem like you want to say something i've just got a yeah can i guess a follow-up question to johnny's like so that the, this is the i guess the framing that porn is produced do you feel like it's fanning the flames or is it actually is it quelling something so you mentioned like if, if it's all about people just having the horn maybe a bit of a dark follow-up question but like for for rapists is rape porn promote like it is that going to increase the rates long term as people go oh that's the gateway drug or does it satisfy the need and is that it or i guess i don't know what the data says on that but yeah there's definitely like links with, I mean, it's not like so evidence, but there's links with like Ted Bundy claiming that porn was like the gateway to mm. his first assault that then led to, which yeah. is then used to rationalize this idea that porn creates this desire in people if the desire wasn't already there. But yeah. I'll let you say so I, I can say. Yes, I have a lot to say about that. So first of all, just on the, just the raw empirical data, you don't go into sub-analyses and nuanced approaches. The rise of porn has corresponded with a flatlining or even usually massive reduction of sexual assault proclivity. Um, you know, the guy's history is real fucked, man. In the medieval times, you walk in alone at night, you're a female, you're getting it. Like one-to-one, -one, you're out there by yourself. Like in Muslim culture, which is technically speaking, uh, like Christian culture, a relic of the medieval times for which it was very uh, well adept. But there's a reason that in Muslim culture, a woman is to be by her man at all times uh, in not Muslim culture, generally like uh, the most, um, I don't want to say tot uh, technically totalitarian, the most fundamentalist the interpretation of Muslim it, yeah. culture uh, is like, you know, same with Christian culture is actually, you know, fundamentalist religion in many cases, it's like the woman belongs next to man. There is a rationalization for that. It's not out of, it's not just to oppress people. It is because back in the world, back in the day before modern laws, before organized police forces, if you are a, uh, sexually showing off your shit as a woman and you're out in public, somebody's taking it from you. So that's definitely a situation. And so with the advent of pornography, if we were to expect a potentiating effect on sexual assault, man, Jesus Christ, I mean, 
the rise of porn has been astronomical. Like it's exponential. It's like, like everyone, every single human being in the country of India has access to fucking porn, Saudi Arabia, America, everywhere, not the United Kingdom. You guys are swell. Um, <laughs> this is gross, but it's grotesque, Robert. I've never. Um, so you would expect like if there was some kind of even just general effect of potentiating sexual violence, we would see that in literature. But sexual violence in India, for example, is like categorically a level higher than it is in any Western country, but it's also been falling over historical trends. It'd be like, wait, falling to this? Like, oh yeah, it used to be just like, that was the norm. I remember blaming the victim in rape was also the norm, which is ultra fucked up, but also reflects how normalized rape used to be. It was always considered terrible, but it was always like, well, yeah, but when men are out by themselves, especially in groups, and you're out there fucking flashing your titties, it's been just rape, which is uh, literally true and also fucking terrible uh, and is something we should be rallying against. And we have largely successfully in Western culture. Like, there's no, I mean, not a whole lot of people left in, sorry, Western, because uh, Asian culture is identical in this regard. Modern peoples do not condone rape. In, in, not in public and almost never in private either. But sure. it used to be sort of a tacit understanding, like like when you're around bears, they eat you. When you're around single males, they will rape you. So if, if that's where we started and you think porn has a potentiating effect on that and porn has multiplied by, I don't know, like exposure to porn since 1970 to now has multiplied by 10 trillion or something, geez, you guys, just on raw correlation, you know, we'd expect something. And it would just, but, but sexual assault has just been going down. And then in Western countries have been doing this because it's, it's very low levels. So just on that raw analysis, if someone was to tell me, look, I think, I think porn causes increase, like, you know, looking at rape porn or whatever causes an increase in rape, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to have to see some real good secondary and tertiary analysis on that because just on the raw data, it's the total opposite that we well, see. It, it would have to be on the secondary and tertiary analysis, surely, because the at, at a population level, as you say, like the, everything's dropped and we don't know if porn is a um an unrelated variable or not but it but really rape is committed by a small subset of individuals and so we've got to look at the the individual thought process and what was their um their gateway or their um, yeah. their journey to doing that i i have a very concise view of how most rape happens and uh here i go on my non-politically correct get my i get some self-canceled rant <laughs> There is almost never a thought process behind rape. There is an absence of thought. There is a feelings process. To again paraphrase Steven Pinker in the blank slate, rape for the perpetrator in almost every case is the same thing as a theft to a bank robber. Why does a bank robber rob the bank? Because that's where the money is. And he has no moral qualms about simply taking the money. And he's not thinking much about it. He's feeling about it. Like, man, I feel like I need to get fucking paid. Hmm. Oh, there's an ATM. Hammer, ATM. I go, I take the money. It's a feeling. I need money. It's not a thought. It's not like a very planned action. Like, oh, yes, I'm going to disrupt the capitalist system of money supply and income flow. Like, no, it's nonsense. So when people rape, they rape because they want fucking pussy. They want it right now. And their ability to inhibit those uh, desires with either inhibitory feelings or inhibitory thoughts of like, uh, an inhibitory feeling of shame. Uh, so, you know, it's not a thought, really. Shame's not a thought. You know, it's not think about, you feel it. You're like, I want that bitch's titties. And you're like, oh, duh, but that's bad. Okay, fine. So many of those people at the margins, at least in some situations, it's just the shame isn't enough or they just don't have it in, in requisite amounts. Obviously, sociopaths and psychopaths rape because they don't even experience shame. They're like, titty, 
boom. And you're like, holy fuck, you just did that? Like, why wouldn't I? And you're like, oh, if I have to explain that to you, you're broken. And then also there's the thought of like, there's not enough thoughts of like, well, contextually, this is a really bad idea. If I think this through, there's this person in there and they're not going to like me touching their titty. That's bad. I wouldn't want this to happen to myself. The, the thing is that there's not a complexity of that that occurs in rapists. And it's at the nuanced complexity that they have some kind of misunderstanding of how that works. They just have less of it. Uh, in most mm -hmm. cases, they just have a lot of feelings like they want to satisfy now. It's like, if you give me a starving person and you put them in a grocery store, they're going to open a fucking package and start eating it. And you're like, aren't they, is something the, the way they were raised or the misconstruing it? Like, no, they're raw emotion. Fucking, I need to eat. And there's food I eat. That's how I think most rape happens. It's like, I need fucking sex. I'm going to get that shit right now. And there's a bitch that has it. I'm going to take it from her. And, and so that is really the vast majority of how rape happens. Uh, most rape isn't even planned. It's like, it's just boom, here we go. So at a policy level, if feeling is the the main lever to pull, that would suggest that like anti-rape education, if that's occurring in the thought space, it's it's going to be very ineffective compared to like turning up the shame dial, for example. I guess that's almost uh, like to take that to its conclusion is like public shaming would be more effective, maybe not as acceptable than. I think it's very acceptable. We're able to look at how social justice warriors shame Harvey Weinstein. True. Good. <laughs> like. <laughs> What is the Me Too movement except shaming men uh, for terrible, vile things that they're doing? Good. You should be fucking ashamed. And if you think about raping someone, you should be fucking ashamed. Now, if you're capable of higher order thought, you can discard shame altogether and use higher order thought instead, as long as the result is you don't fucking rape people like a fucking wild animal. So now I will say that there are higher order thoughts to tell intelligent thinking people about why not to rape. And at the margins, that can make a big difference. Because if I'm an intelligent, thoughtful person, and I think like, yeah, rape's bad, but it's like uh, lowercase b bad. Uh, that I kind of very, I just haven't thought it through. I haven't been available to literature. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm more likely in, in extreme situations uh, to rape. Uh, let's say I haven't gotten any pussy in a while, and this fucking bitch is kind of just grinding on me. She didn't really consent, but I'm taking it anyway. I mean, most rape, as uh, people will tell you, isn't like man behind a, you know, the dumpster in the alley jumps out at you. It's like, you know, two people that actually kind of know each other. Like she came over to watch some TV with you and she's just your friend. She kind of puts her hand on your shoulder and gives you a back rub and then you take it from her. And she's like, I don't, I don't want this. And you're just like kind of ignore her and just keep going. Like that's the fucking really weird shitty thing about rape is that it's even more gross than the guy jumping out and fucking like afterwards she like pretends it didn't happen or there's weird interaction and she kind of goes home and she cries herself to sleep. It's really, really fucked. And so for individuals in situations like that, uh, cultural knowledge of like, look, like, listen here, 10 year olds, uh, people who have their sex, their, their body autonomy is only for people to give up voluntarily in every single case. You, you can't take it as much as you're not allowed to take people's toys from them in kindergarten. That's my toy. You have to ask for my toy. And if I say no, I can't take your toy. Same with your, same with your body, same idea. So on the margins, it absolutely helps to educate people. It also helps to have a good thick layer of shame if that education doesn't work. But after those people, you know, so in the modern West, most of the people that could be educated. So for example, one um, thing you'll see from insane SJWs when you debate them on the internet, which I used to do all the time, is, you know, you'll say, you'll make some kind of thing, some kind of post about how rape works. And they'll be like, we should be teaching men not to rape. Uh, bitch, are you out of your fucking mind? Is there a world in which you learned that rape was okay in school? Which school did you go to? I, I've known rape is bad my entire childhood and adult life. And as a matter of fact, to me, I knew it was bad intuitively before I learned it was a bad idea. 
is you have reference for someone's body autonomy, especially a naked person. You're like, that's why, you know, like when you're doing sex to each other for the first time, there's almost like, oh my God, am I really going to be able to get to touch you? Like, are you okay with this? Like, oh, holy shit. It's not like, oh, I just take it. So, but in that context, there is, uh, you know, there's, there's layers you can impose. Many people are just like, they know rape is wrong. Most people in the modern West, most healthy adult males know rape is wrong. And, and almost all of them have a huge amount of shame. Now, that's not always active. Cognitive processes and even processes of shame with enough alcohol and in the right social circle, they kind of fritter away. And all of a sudden you're left being like a fucking wild animal, which is why a shitload of rape happens in like, you know, college campuses with drunk frat dudes, which fucking take. But that, that's not a human being anymore. That's a person who's had 18 beers. There's nothing left over except like a lizard brain, a lizard, a lizard. You know, like you can't train an alligator not to rape. It's no cultural context at all, no ability for that. So a lot of that happens like that. But then you get down to this group of people in society who don't have the uh, intellectual ability to be told not to do things that are wrong. And the shame doesn't always get through, or maybe they don't even have that either. And those are the people who tend to do the most rape and the most crime in general. And uh, one of my hobbies is looking at criminology research. So far, the best thing we've come up with is rehabilitation is an ideal that I would love to see work, but there's almost zero empirical, empirical support for rehabilitation for serious criminals ever working, which just doesn't work. I'm not against rehabilitation. It just doesn't seem like it's, it's a real thing. Like, try it. There's tons of programs. I tried 50 different things. It doesn't fucking do anything. Recidivism goes back up to whatever percent it used to be as the three, six, nine months after. What does work is taking those people and putting them into what I should, what I personally consider should be very, very, um, uh, very uh, nice places to be, not places that are bad, prisons. You you take them and you put them away from other people in society because they're broken and they don't belong with other people. The I think something like 70% of people in prison uh, have antisocial personality disorder, diagnosable, and the other 25% of, of that group uh, that's left over is on the spectrum of antisocial personality disorder. And then the other 5% is like, you know, plus minus, whatever, maybe it's just clear. These are people who, uh, you know, antisocial personality disorder, as, as you guys may know, is like, it comes with a constellation of symptoms. And one of them is like, I'm on team me. And if it's good for me, I'm doing it. And if you, I don't give a fuck about. So those kinds of people, like shame doesn't, it works on the margins for some of them, but for many of them, you'll never reach. And you just have to take those people, like repeat offenders, repeat violent rapists. They need to go to jail basically for forever until we can genomically cure them because there's rehab doesn't work and they're just going to come out and do the same fucking thing. And that, uh, that actually is uh, the thing for almost all categories of serious crime. You have a tiny fraction of people just doing all the serious crime or 90 some percent of it. And you need to take them and very compassionately give them somewhere nice to live that's the fuck away from anyone else they can hurt. Yeah, you, anyway. there has to be a balance of determinism and accepting that if rehab doesn't work and there are certain features that have gone deep in the child's psyche before they've had a chance to, to mold their personality around it, like that thing of the the guy that visited the prison and said everyone stand up against this line now cross the line if you if your dad hit your mum when you were younger and cross the line if you um got beaten when you were little and and if there was alcohol in your house and if there was drugs in your house and, it, and eventually like everyone who was in prison had stepped over yeah. the line and everyone who was visiting and judging the guys who were in prison was standing on the other side of the line and it's like the, or the same with the ace index and obesity and uh of you know have you been exposed to all these different horrific things as a child and that massively increases the likelihood of you being obese but at the same time as you say like we've got to accept that right now we don't have tools that are powerful enough to 
fundamentally alter someone's adult personality. And yes. so we've got to just do what we can in the most compassionate way to minimize total damage on the rest of society. Right. Uh, if you can't play nice in the sandbox after a few tries, you don't get to play in the sandbox anymore. But you do get to go in your own sandbox and um, and and play there. Another thing is, and this is it, it enter a very politically incorrect thing. There has absolutely a role for early childhood, and it seems to be, in my best estimate, reading the literature, something like explains maybe twenty or thirty percent of the variance. I think that seventy to eighty percent of the variance, especially in adult criminal activity, is explained by genetics. And that, it's, I, I wish I didn't have to say it, but you read enough of the literature and that's just exactly what it is. And the, when you look at those statistics from the behavioral genetics lens of all those people had those crazy things happen in their home, like mom mom, and dad used to fight. Well, mom and dad fought. They have the genes for fighting each other. They're also antisocial. It's a tough and guess whose genes you have? Mom and dad's genes. Like, that's who you're related to. One of the reasons we know this is that people who are adopted, twin and adoption studies, you think like it's all early childhood and then you adopt people early into a home that's really fucked up and their genetics are not fucked up or vice versa. You get people with really fucked up genetics uh, or so, from a fucked up family lineage getting adopted into a really nice home and it definitely helps, but it helps not as much as you would think. And a lot of people just go back like, fuck man, I know somebody personally who adopted a young girl at age seven and uh, by the time she was 15, she was having uh unprotected sex and using crack cocaine and all this other crazy shit. And she grew up wealthy in the suburbs, her entire conscious post seven year old life uh, around great people. She just went right back to the shit that her mom and dad used to do. And, and um, they know and stuff about really the history of the parents of the biological parents. Enough to know that that's where they were doing. That's why they gave her up. Well, wow. they, there was only a mother. The father was absent the entire time as is sort of predicted in this case. So it's, it's, it, it, it's a lot of unsavory stuff, but something, uh, one thing I will say on, on, the, on the grand scheme, and this applies to both this chronology thing we went off on and the masturbation thing, is there's a very big difference between accepting reality and then choosing what to do next. And you may have to accept some really grotesque realities uh, without trying to say, well, if we accept this, clearly like we'll have to do X, Y, Z thing. Like, no, 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 no. Accepting reality is not a choice if you want to do the best possible job to make the most compassionate and awesome society. If it turns out that the vast majority of the reason people commit crimes is genetic in nature, that just is what it is. We don't have a choice about it. It is what it is. Now, I love that I want I want to see a lot of work in genomics. We could potentially literally cure people by giving them, you know, DNA vectors and all of a sudden they do not have a proclivity for crime anymore. Like that would be unbelievable. It'd be amazing, right? But we're a little short of that. So it's it's what do we do? What's next best? We tried rehab. There's definitely better ways and worse ways to do rehab, but they're very marginal. They have very small effects. Uh, one thing that I was actually listening to, um, uh, Coleman Hughes, I don't know if you guys know who that is, uh, a, a podcaster, a really, really great guy, he talks about social and philosophical issues. And he had a guy on his podcast who whose position was, we cannot have jails because morally you don't put people in cages. And Coleman Hughes is super fucking smart. He was very, very patient, very kind. And he was like, I hear you. Putting people in cages is fucking wrong. There's nothing cool about jail. He's like, well, what about like repeat, like child rapists? And the guy was like, well, you know, you get them out, no jail. And it's, it's obviously there's some problems they're dealing with and it should be solved at the community level. And he's like, okay, so what if that guy's like, uh-huh, yeah, community, yep. And just rapes his next kid again. Like these people are prone to do with like a 95% statistical chance. And he's like, well, he's like, I'm not a policy guy. I don't have all the answers. I just know that locking people up is wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mate, are you fucking serious? 
Like there is evil in this world. Some people are bad people. Now everyone's on a spectrum from good to bad. Some people are truly angelic creatures capable of almost no wrong. Some people are vile from day one. We're all the rest of us in the middle. But if you're far enough on that spectrum of vile as fuck, we have to understand that that's kind of how you're going to be for a while at least. And maybe we sequester you the fuck away from the rest of society in some way for some time in some fashion so that we can at least give everyone else some fucking breathing room in the idea that we shouldn't be building people in cages. I agree with you. I also think we shouldn't have homelessness and poverty, but sometimes that shit happens and we have to find out how to deal with it next. So big deal between what to do about things compassionately and recognizing reality. And a lot of people don't even want to parse reality because it's going to make them uh, see the world as a bit of a darker place than they wanted and a place in which solutions may be more difficult to come by than they wanted. There's the ideal and there's what's practical. And I don't know if this will make it into the, the final cut, but I've, I've got a friend who is, he's a doctor as well and is very much um, pushing the, the agenda of um, or pushing the agenda. That sounds like a very, very propagandist kind of, he, he's very pro um, narrative man, medicalizing pedophilia because he says that yeah. when it's not medicalized, it's not accepted. Pedophiles then don't feel like they can actually go and seek the appropriate help and it gets pushed further underground. They continue to offend. So from a kind of utilitarian perspective, we need to make sure they have access to the medical care and rehab that they need so that they can actually get themselves sorted. Now, given what you've said there and how ineffective rehab is, then maybe that's the next problem we've got to deal with. Okay, now that they've actually presented themselves and saying, hey, I admit that I've got a problem here, now what do I do? But his idea is that like, by saying, oh, they are morally inferior to us is actually completely false because that implies that we're all just bursting to touch, to fiddle with kids. And the only thing that's stopping us from doing it is yeah. that we're morally superior and they're not. That's that's uh, absolutely excellent observation. One thing is like there could be people out there that have really unfortunate thoughts in their head that they don't act on because they know that that's wrong and good on them. Uh, I have all sorts of thoughts I don't act on. I know it's wrong. If I'm stuck in traffic and someone cuts me off, I'm like, I want to fucking kill that person. Be like, really? Like, yes, I want to kill them. But are you going to? No, I'm not going to fucking kill them. I'm not going to kill a human being. What are you out of your fucking mind? There's a difference between thoughts in your head and the things you actually do. There are certain people that have sexual proclivities that violate other people's civil rights, like all of pedophilia by implication because children cannot consent, which, by the way, the only thing wrong with pedophilia is that kids can't consent. Um, so that, yeah, is totally a thing. And there's certainly some people that like, like, yes, like if you have trouble dealing with those thoughts and so far you've been successful, it's great if psychologists can help you deal with those thoughts better. But, uh, a lot of the people that say like, look, you know, the morality stuff about it is off base and we need to treat it just like a medical problem. Well, it's a medical problem with a huge moral intersection because uh, having sex with kids is morally wrong. And I don't mean from some weird Christian perspective. I mean, because kids aren't designed to have sex. They don't have any context for it. They can't tell if it's pleasurable or not. And when they can, they get 10 trillion fucking weird psychological issues later down the line. There's just like, this is not, a child is not a sexual object. And also because they are not, uh, they don't have enough agency to consent. You can't even like a kid be like, no, honestly, I really do like it. Like, nope, you're 11 years old. You don't get to say that. Sorry. Like you, when you're 18, you can go fuck whoever they want until then. Nah. So there's a whole moral problem there with like the idea of even, even thinking it's okay to have sex with kids. It's like, nope, right offhand. It's wrong. It's a bad thing. It's just like rape or just like murder. But it's like, but I really like to kill. Like, yeah, I know what killing's wrong. And so we can have both a moralistic view and an evidence-based consequentialist medical view at the same time. A lot of people 
who are saying, well, like, well, you know, we need to medicalize it so that we can help treat people. Like you said, Yusuf, or, or, or hinted at, we need to ask, are these people treatable or to what extent are they treatable? Certainly it's treatable to some extent, but that treatment might actually just be chemical castration. We're like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, I don't want to get castrated. We're like, well, this is going to prevent you from being a pedophile in the real world. So do you really think pedophilia is wrong? And they're like, yes. They're like, okay, time to get castrated, motherfucker. Or time to go to jail for forever so you can't be around kids. Or time to wear a fucking permanent electronic monitor that tells every person who has kids around in the fucking square mile area that you're there and you're a fucking pedophile. How's that? They'd be like, well, that's really fucked up. You're like, well, yeah, but you're a fucking pedophile. So like, you know, like if I was radioactive and I physically people got sick from being around me, I kind of want people to know about that. So <laughs> I think you end up, everything gets poisoned when it, uh, become sufficiently political as to become illogical. You get as pure conservative view is like pedophiles are evil as fuck and they're immoral and there's no medical nonsense. Just kill them all. Dope. But then like some people struggle with weird thoughts. And if we can get them to contextualize the thoughts and never touch an actual living kid, amazing. Fuck them. People are weird. Sometimes they're fucked up. And if they don't actually hurt anyone, whatever. Dope. But then like, you know, on the other end, it's people are like, well, pedophilia is just one of the many ways of loving. Like, nope, false, full stop. You're fucking insane. <laughs> Kids are fucking children. You can't fucking do shit to them. You can't touch their genitals. That's fucked up. So there's got to be a consideration of moral aspect. The number one thing at the end of the day is how do we do one thing? The pedophilia is a real simple problem. How do we make sure the smallest number of children are getting fucking raped? Period. I don't give a fuck if it's moralistic or if it's consequentialist. Whatever it takes to do that, that also doesn't take society and turn it into a totalitarian hell. That would be a real big benefit. So we have totalitarian hell. We have amount of child rape. If we can just lower those both at the same time, whatever way we need to think about it with some combination of medical contextualization and moralistic contextualization, dope. I'm all for it. There's really the only – and because you'll have people in those groups who are like, well – you know, pedophilia is nuanced. You're like, I got you. Are you actually against people having sex with children? They're like, well, not in all cases. You're like, okay, <laughs> glad you told me that. It's kind of like if you sat Hitler down and he's like, look, in my heart of hearts, I just really want to fucking kill all the Jews. And that's really how I feel. You're like, I hear you. It's just his perspective. Like, yeah, it's the wrong fucking perspective. Fucking animal. Like, kill him now, please. Or put him in jail for forever before he kills all the Jews. Like, yeah, we'd have total parody and total inclusivity. But at the same time saying, look, look, the way you feel is wrong and you should be the fuck away from other people. Yeah, this they're like putting inclusivity above everything else when actually the North Star should be how do we minimize kids being fiddled with and then work backwards from there. Probably you would think. better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, Mike, this has been absolutely great. I really want to segue and hand, handbrake turn into the RP app, but I feel like we should maybe um, turn this into a, we should <laughs> Another maybe one maybe. as a separate episode. Yeah, yeah sure. It'd be a bit of an insensitive sure. segue, wouldn't it? Like, so what does rape have to do with RP? I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Hold on a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be great to do like a, a follow-up episode if you Totally. If you're up for it. I would love Just that. Just so we can make and, it. And, and only if you guys are up for it. I don't want to impose. I'm going to turn your, your podcast into a fucking RP oh, ad. Always welcome. But uh, this has all been fun. I guess we even segued away from, from, from masturbation discussion <laughs> uh, yeah, to a significant got, extent. got deep quickly. So, Mike, that, that took a, a very dark turn. Um, but appreciate the the journey that we've taken over the last hour. Was a journey. Sometimes you just got to talk about stuff. It segues into other interesting shit. And uh, I guess the, the best way to maybe we'll have me on again later for more NoFap, but the, the best way to think of NoFap is if it's a thing that's causing you some psychic distress, masturbation, and you have a clearly unhealthy relationship with it, either in your own head or it's affecting your life and work, it's definitely something to think about. 
and looking at how you use porn and how you masturbating and how you have other sexual relations is a very good idea. And if that's you, it's definitely worth a think. But if you're looking at your own masturbation habits or porn habits and you're like, I don't know, it's just like I jack off when I think about titties and when I feel good after and I feel like I'm relieved and I go back to work for a few hours or days and then I jack off again, then you're totally good and you're actually the vast majority of the population, something like 95% of people that jack off are very much that's just totally doing that, like whatever. Um, it's like people, it's the same, same relationship with almost everything else, like food, for example. You know, there are people for whom like people with disordered eating for whom meals are like this moral moral thing like oh my god what should i eat but should it be healthy but could be junk maybe a little junk like but i'm guilty about the junk like holy fuck mm. like that's a thing whereas for most people it's like i'm hungry i have food it's healthy or it's not whatever fuck it i have food and then i go back to work most people are in that second category with, with porn with food with whatever and if you're in that category don't let people on the internet tell you porn or jacking off or eating food is some somehow inherently deleterious and inherently negative and inherently psychologically destroying you and preventing you from becoming a 500 billion dollar an hour entrepreneur <laughs> that's all fucking bullshit but if you struggle with masturbation addiction pornography addiction or just unhealthy habits it's definitely something to talk to someone about and there are absolutely ways that are um you can catch some traction on that and, and help yourself and just contextualize that for you there have to be limits and ways of approaching that are, are uh, keep the thing healthy for you and it's uh, and you'll go through phases in life too where sometimes you'll have less healthy relationships with it and sometimes and maybe for the rest of your life you'll have a very healthy relationship with it so uh, a lot of nuance and it's it's a very individual dependent that we're not great robots advice. Yeah, very much enjoyed that that deep what? dive. Did you just say robots? I said we're we're not robots. Oh, I thought I thought you meant like sex robots are going to make all this great, which I totally agree with. Also, but that's another conversation. Yeah. Next episode, tune in for sex robots. That can be the we'll do AI coaching, RP app, sex robots. I love it. So 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 related. Mike is an absolute cornucopia of knowledge and fun, and if this is the first exposure that you've had to him you're in for a treat. So have a, have a listen to his main channel. Consider yourself exposed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Especially there's, the there's video the main... of Mike cooking. Oh, that's just an absolute work of art. Cause I'm a fucking but, chef. Uh, my friend. It's my favorite. Oh. Um, oh. So there's the Renaissance periodization channel for all things, hypertrophy, getting big biceps and stuff. There's the new channel where you talk really about like epistemology and the art of progress. Um, and then also if you enjoyed this particular dynamic between the three of us, then we have another few episodes with Mike back in the archives where we talk about kind of the behind the scenes of him going from professor to content marketer, to growing the, the RP business, and also some of the other stuff about the, the nuance of coaching and how to put forward an argument in a sensitive and robust way. So lots to check out in the link in the description. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It is always a sincere pleasure. And I'm not just saying that. It is always really fun. Thanks for coming on. Always.